0: So there's that line, it says, um, after he had received the wine, after he drank the wine, Jesus said, cried out in a loud voice. And Matthew doesn't say what he cried out. Matthew doesn't say what he said, but John says what he said. And and John points out that what Jesus says is, it is finished. Um, That that it's finished. Um, (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about unfinished furniture. I don't know why. Actually, I know why, because of today. Um, and uh, like the concept of unfinished furniture it became popular basically, I think, uh, beginning in the 1980s, somewhere in there, where just you go to the store or you order this, uh, you know, there's a table, there's a chair, there is a dresser and um, it's either, you know, it's not treated wood or it's not sanded or it's not painted or it's not sanded, sanded down. And you buy it like that. You buy it unfinished um, so that you can finish it. That's the idea. But the, the interesting thing I've been thinking about again is like, but that's a real chair. Like even though it's an unfinished chair, it's a full chair. Like. There's, you can't like make it more chair later on. You don't add anything to it that makes it more chair. That table is a doesn't get any more tabley than that. Like, and the dresser is a fully functional dresser. Um, so it's in some ways it's finished. It's it's actually what it's supposed to be. But the manufacturer has made room. Like the fa- the manufacturer has left room in the creation of this thing for your participation. The manufacturer it's. It's, again, it's done and he's the one who did it but he's left room in that so that you could participate in the thing, so you could contribute to the whole thing. You know, for the, for the past six weeks we've been talking about a world that's come undone. For the last six weeks, we've been the whole of Lent, we've been talking about how, how, how our hearts have come undone, our relationships have come undone, that, that there's this thing called original sin in the world and so because of that original sin that there was a decision that broke the world. And every one of us is an inheritor of that original sin, that we're born into the world. Our default in the world is broken. Our default in the world is undone. Our default in the world left to ourselves, our default is death. We talked about how Jesus came to undo what has been undone. Jesus came to undo what's been undone by sin. This is the message. Jesus came to destroy what destroys us. That Jesus came to conquer what conquers us. That Jesus has come to kill what kills us. And today, today this is the part of the story. After all the miracles and all the healings and all the times he's undone, what's been done? Today this is the part of the story we just heard that just where Jesus, God himself, allows himself to enter so fully into our suffering and so fully into this world come undone that he allows what destroys us to destroy him. That he allows what conquers us to conquer him. That Jesus, today, this whole story, this reality, that he allows what kills us to kill him. He's like, why? Like, why? Like, for what is the question? Like, but I don't think that's the right question. For what is not the right question? The question is not for what. The question is for who? Jesus comes into this world that's undone and he lets it kill him. He enters into suffering and he lets it defeat him. For who? This is really personal. He's for you. Again, this is a big story. The, the whole thing we read and just had it just proclaimed so well, that every step is for you. Like, every step Jesus took was for you. Every step Jesus took had a name assigned to it. So here's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's like, I, I'm, my heart's being torn out. He's sweating blood. And he's like, ah, oh, this is for Alex. And then, um, he gets up and his, his disciples, his friends are, are coming to him and he says, okay, here, here comes this other person who was a great friend of mine. Um, and he comes to betray us, my accuser's at hand. And this is for Catherine. And they arrest him and um, he's betrayed. And think about this, he's, he's, every person he's ever loved, every person who's ever gotten close to, they either betray him or they deny him or they abandon him. In that moment, he's like, ah, oh, this is for Mark. Jesus spends the entire night in Caiaphas' house in Caiaphas's dungeon, and he can't sleep the entire night. Enters in that suffering of not being able to sleep, he says it's for Allison. And the next morning, he gets up and he's the whole day he's accused and he's misunderstood. He's like, "This is for Tim," and he gets scourged, and he's like, "This is for Marin." And he gets punched in the face and put a crown of thorns on his head. He says, This is for Claire. With every nail, he's like, okay, this is for her. This is for him. And if I haven't said your name yet, the reality is that, that he's on the cross and the whole time, every breath, every breath that he like squeezes, they get out of his chest. He's like, for you. Next breath, for you. That the reality, of course, in this whole story, is that Jesus entered into the suffering and let it kill him and let it crush him. The whole time, it's personal, the whole time, he's like, Father, this is for her. Father, this is for him. He entered into suffering and this is the crazy thing, it's like, what is it? What is it to enter into suffering? We've been talking about this a lot the entire time. A world undone is a world that is permeated by suffering. You know, I, I was reading, uh, there's a friend of mine named Jeff Cavins and he wrote this book on suffering and in it he talks about, he says, there's two ways we suffer, in fact, he got this from John Paul II, there's two ways we suffer. We have physical suffering and we have moral suffering. His physical suffering is what we we're reading about. Here is uh, Nick, member of the man born without arms or without legs. Um, Here is physical suffering, the man born blind, physical suffering of Lazarus dying. But then there's also moral suffering and that's, that's the, the suffering that touches our heart, the suffering that breaks our heart. So here's Nick, who at like 10 years old wants to die. That's the, the, the grief, the moral suffering. Here is, here's the man born blind who also went through this world being unseen and unknown and uncared about. And he didn't matter to anyone, his heart broken. Here's Mary and Martha, their hearts broken out in pieces at the death of their brother. all these ways in which we suffer, physical suffering, moral suffering. And today in the Gospel, Jesus allows physical suffering to break his body. And he, in today's Gospel, Jesus allows moral suffering to break his heart. So he talks about this, this like two ways we suffer, but there's also two kinds of suffering. And this is kind of like technical, I don't mean to get too much, too much into this. Um, two kinds of suffering. One is definitive suffering, the other one is temporal suffering. Definitive suffering is um, it's forever, right? Definitive suffering. It's de- definitive. It's, there's no end to it. It's basically definitive suffering is being cut off from the source of everything that's good. It's hell. Definitive suffering is hell. And the consequence of original sin is hell. Like, the, right? The consequence of original sin, the result of original sin is the fact that we're all born into this bro- break in our relationship with God and that if we stay in that break, then we end up with that definitive suffering broken forever cut off from the source of everything that's good, undone. And that's the default. And today in the gospel, we hear this is where Jesus saves us from that. That by his suffering and death, Jesus saves us from definitive suffering. And he says, what does so he say? What he cry out in John's gospel? It is finished. He's completed the work of salvation. Right? He's completed the work of conquering death, of conquering what can conquer us, of defeating what defeats us. And the thing that defeats us more than anything else is the possibility, the reality that we could be forever separated from God. It's finished. And that's the thing, we have to assert this, that Jesus on the cross has completed the work of salvation. It's finished. And yet, it's unfinished. Again, there's no more he can do. He has completed the work of salvation. And yet, it's unfinished. So what's left? What's left is your part. Like what, what's left is your yes. Have you ever heard it said that there's, there's no such thing as unconditional love? There's always at least one condition. And that's, will you let yourself be loved? So God has unconditional love for us. But whether that makes a difference in our lives is based off of the condition, the one condition that will I Say yes to that. Will I accept his love? It's so personal because, yes, it's finished, but it's unfinished. And what's lacking there is my yes. Because Jesus has conquered definitive suffering. Like, he, he is, he's finished it. The God who conquered definitive suffering is the Lord of life. The unfinished part is, does he have permission to be the Lord of my life? So we see this paradox. It's finished. He's done it. It's completed, but it's unfinished. Will I say yes? Will I let him actually love me into life? And then, now this next piece, that's definitive suffering, right? The next piece is the main thing. Because I'm so grateful to the Lord that he's delivered us, has the possibility of delivering us from eternal hell if we say yes to, to him. But we still live in a world that's come undone. We still live in a world with temporal suffering. We, we still suffer it. He hasn't taken it. That we walk around this world and we realize Jesus hasn't, hasn't removed it. Um, But he's done something more powerful. Question, what could be more powerful than taking it away? What could be more powerful than removing suffering from our lives? What's more powerful is that he's given it meaning. Because is there anything more difficult than senseless suffering? Is there anything more difficult than walking through this life being hurt again and again and again and saying, this doesn't make any sense. But for the Christian, there is no such thing as senseless suffering. For the Christian, there's only wasted suffering or there's meaningful suffering. For the Christian, there's no such thing as senseless suffering. There's only wasted suffering, or there's redemptive suffering. That's why uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 13, Peter says this. He says, talking to Christians, talking to people, just ordinary people like you and me, he says, Rejoice to the extent that you share in the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice to the extent that you share in the sufferings of Christ. Not only tolerate it, not only embrace it, not only be okay with it, but rejoice to the extent that you share in the sufferings of Christ. We we see suffering as as a curse. We see suffering as the worst thing that could happen to us. And the apostles, the early Christians, they saw suffering as an opportunity to participate, to imitate, to be like Jesus. Because what was the mission of Jesus? The mission of Jesus was to love us and save us through his suffering. The mission of Jesus was to love us and to save us through his suffering and death and resurrection. And that's finished. And that's our head. That's the head of the church, right? Jesus is the head of the church. But we're the body. So if we're the body, if we're really actually Christians, if we are really actually share in his life, that we also share in his mission. And the whole goal of Christianity is not just to be good, not just to be nice, not just to be okay people, but to be like him. And that part is unfinished. How did Jesus save the world? In his body, by loving in the midst of suffering and handing himself over. And he hasn't taken that away from you. If you're a part of his body, that means his mission continues to exist in you on this earth. Jesus Jesus hasn't taken suffering, he's transformed it. He hasn't removed it, he's redeemed it. And so now there's no weakness, there is no pain, there's no grief, there's no loss, there's no sadness, there's no nothing that couldn't be a part of his redemptive work, not in you and not in this world. Because he's, because he has shared. He shared part of his cross with us. In fact, that's what, uh, Peter, Paul says as well in Colossians 1 verse 24, Paul in Colossians, he says again, I rejoice in my sufferings. Like Peter says, hey, rejoice in your sufferings, to the same your share in the sufferings of Christ. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my body I make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. You have to pause at that moment and be like, does that make any sense? Like, I rejoice in my sufferings, that doesn't make sense. And in my body I make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. So, John Paul II, St. John Paul, He looked at this in his document called Salvifici Dolores, like on human suffering. And he said, well, what, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ? His answer was nothing, right? It's finished. It's done. But he goes on to say, but so that you might know the power of God, Jesus has extended to you a particle of his cross so you can be part of his mission. So you might know what it's like to love like God. He's extended a particle of his cross. So you might be able to share in his mission of bringing salvation to the the, the world, to the people around you. Because Jesus doesn't need you, but he doesn't want to do this without you. He doesn't need your suffering, doesn't need your life, doesn't need my life, doesn't need my suffering, but he doesn't want to do it without us. This is an actual table. That's an actual chair. That's an actual dresser. But the manufacturer has left room in it for your and my participation. He's left it unfinished. And when it's unfinished, when it's unfinished, it can end up wasted. You might know this um, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, uh, much holier, wiser, better person than me. He said this, and I I have a tough time saying this, but he said it, I'll quote him. Um, He said, the greatest places of wasted suffering are hospitals and nursing homes. The greatest places of work Wasted suffering hospitals and nursing homes. People who are suffering, their hearts, their bodies are being broken. They're abandoned. They're lonely. They're suffering. And it's being wasted. So how, how, how do I not waste that? Like, how do we not waste this? That if, if, if this is the finished work of Jesus, but he's given part of us, part of it to us to, to, to complete it, to what's unfinished, how do I do it? It's really not complicated. In fact, this is the question people ask all the time, like, how am I supposed to offer up my sacrifices? How do I offer up anything to God? It's really not complicated. Just like Jesus. Jesus, every step of his life, what did he say? He said, ah, this is for Josh. Every step of his life, what did Jesus say? He said, okay, this is, this is for Tom. This is what we do, too. Every moment, with every pain, with every suffering, with every physical suffering, every moral suffering, every time our body breaks, every time our heart breaks, we get to say, Father, this is for them. Father, use this. That's all. That's all it takes. Because the Father hears you, right? That God, you matter to God. And so whenever you say anything, Father, use this. We know nothing given to God is ever wasted. Like nothing. Not our physical suffering, not our moral suffering, not if it <laughs> Not even our sins given to God are wasted. I, um, I have, there have been many times when I have been struck with so much grief over um, my own failures. So many times when I'm just like, I kind of feel debilitated in some ways by my own sins or by the people that I know I've hurt. Like, I know that their lives aren't the same, not in a good way, but in a bad way because of me. And I feel, in those moments, I feel so powerless. You ever you just feel powerless? You're like, I can't go back. I can't change it. Like, I have affected their lives in a way that they have to deal with. And now I can't go back and undo that. So what do you do with that? When in the midst of this powerlessness, like, it's just, it's grief. All I can do, all we can do is say, Father, use this. I can't go back in time. I can't change what I did. I can't change what's been done. But Father, use this. That's what you can do right now in, any, in every moment of our lives. We can just say, Lord, I have nothing to offer you except this brokenness, but use this for her. I have nothing to but Lord, use this for him with that confidence that nothing, nothing given to God is ever wasted. Just take aim. <laughs> Honestly, take aim. God, this is for them. This is for that person. God, you've given me a particle of your cross. Let me not waste it. And this is the last thing, this is the last thing. I know that that is easier said than done. I know that that actually, that requires faith. Like that, what I mean by requires faith is it means you have, you have to trust. You trust that, um, in this world that has come undone, the Father sees you. It involves trust that in this world that's come undone, um, the Father knows you. It involves trust that in, in this world that's come undone, the Father loves you and that you matter. And that your suffering, even if it's really small, that that matters to Him. But it also means that you realize, you, you know this is true. That he trusts you. Well, let's stop for a sec here. St. Paul, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my body I'm making up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. He goes on to say, for the sake of his body, the church. John Paul, nothing's lacking in the sufferings of Christ, but so that you might participate in his redemptive, his salvific, his saving work on earth. He's extended to you a particle of his cross. And as he gives you that particle of his cross, what he's saying is, I trust you with this. Use this. And we hold on to it and say, Okay, God, use this. Let it not be wasted on me. Every amount of suffering, every sliver of the cross that God has ever given you, even if it's stupid, even if it's silly, even if it's one of those things like, I shouldn't be upset about this, but I am to be able to say, God, use this. Realize, Christian, you are the body of Christ here on earth. And what did Jesus do in his body? He suffered, he died, he rose, and he triumphed. It's finished. And you're the body of Christ. And what does Jesus still do and wants to do in you? He will in you suffer. And in you, he will die. And in you, he will rise. And in you, he will triumph. But that part's unfinished. That part's undone. That part can be wasted. Or that's the part also where we can say, Father, I trust you. Use this.